story, I'm going to be sharing some more with you tonight because I want to show you the man I was, the man where I'm at, and the man that I want to be in the future. And I want you to know that my spiritual growth was not a linear process. It was like this, okay, up and down, up and down. But God gave me his grace throughout that time, and I stand here before you today because of God working in my life. We're going to learn tonight this principle, and I pray it impacts you as it impacted me, the put-off, put-on principle as found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 24. We're going to look at the totality of the passage briefly today. So let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This is what the word of God says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of the heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, ready to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would empty me of myself, Lord, that your spirit would speak through me, your words, and that this principle would really touch the hearts and lives of everyone here today, that we too can grow to become more like your son each and every day. In your name, amen. We're going to focus specifically on verse 22 and 24, but it's important that we look at this context because what Paul is doing right here is he's talking about the new life. You see, for the uh, believers that he's talking to in Ephesus, their thinking was worthless. Their understanding was darkened. They were alienated from God and they were callous people. They were instead living according to what they used to be and not what they have been taught. What Paul's doing in verse 22 and 24 is he's saying, put into practice what you have been taught. You see, put off, renew your mind, and put on are verbs. They're not imperatives, but they carry imperative force. So let's look at put off, verse 22. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You see, the verse is often used, or that phrase is often used for taking off one's clothing, but it's also used figuratively of putting off or laying aside sin. 
in Romans 13, 12, it says the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Or in Colossians 3, 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put on, verse 24, that verb is similar to the verb put off. Again, it's usually typically used in the literal sense for clothing, but it can also be used figuratively in a couple of different passages. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those in Christ are commanded to put on the armor of God. Uh, Romans 13, 12, put on the armor of life. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor. Those in Christ are commanded to put on love. Colossians 3, 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Or Colossians 3, 14, above all these, put on love. You see, this concept of put on, put off is not a new concept or term. In fact, the Puritans used it a lot. One Puritan by the name of John Owen wrote a book, an uh, amazing book, that's called The Mortification of Sin. So put off could be uh, said as mortification, and put on could be said as vivification. You see, Robert Kellerman, a biblical counselor, writes in his book, Gospel-Centered Counseling, a mortification. This is what it is. We are co-crucified with Christ and therefore dead to sin. That is our theological reality. Mortification in its practical application is co-crucifixion. We quit living like the dead old person we once were. We make actual in our practice what is actual in our regeneration. Positionally, we are a new man. Practically speaking, the habits or the Bible will use a term called the flesh is still present in our lives. We are supposed to mortify or put off that old way of living, the flesh. Vivification, he writes, is co-resurrection with Christ. And therefore, we're supposed to be live alive in righteousness. Vivification, he writes, is a practical application of our co-resurrection. We start living like the new person that we are now in Christ. We make actual in practice what has already become actual in our regeneration. We put on or live with new aspects, new habits, new ways and patterns of life. You see, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's telling them that if you are going to grow, some things need to be taken off and some things need to be put on. He later explains, which we already read in verse 25, put away falsehood. Um, in verse 31, he tells them to uh, let all bitterness or put away bitterness and wrath. In verse 32, he says, put on, what is it, tender hearts, forgiving. There's things we should put off and things we should put on. What he's not saying is that we have an old man living within us. It's dead. There are not two natures at war within ourselves. What he is saying is we carry these habits and these patterns. When you were saved, you didn't come home and your house was all cleaned up. Everything was perfectly put together. No, you still carried some baggage, which is the flesh. You see, we have spent our lives with these habits that have formed. Some of us, it's laziness, or it's jealousy, or it's pride, or it's bitterness, or it's anger. Whatever these may be, these still live, and they still work, and they're habits that we form. So we have to put them away and put on new habits, new lifestyles, new characteristics. What Paul is saying now is we have the ability to grow because of God's transforming grace in our lives. You have the spirit that's empowering you to change. 
You have the word of God instructing you how to change. You have the son of God interceding on your behalf to change. And you have the father that answers your prayers and is orchestrating your life so that you would be conformed to the image of his son. Now you can live out these verses of Galatians 5, 16, walk by the spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Or Romans 13, 14, you're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. So now what I want to do is I want to take this principle that we've laid out there and I want to show you through my life and specifically my time in college of how God worked and orchestrated in me. The first one is to put off. What does this process look like? The first thing you need to do to put off is you need to identify simple words, actions, and emotions. That instance of getting angry was not the only time that I got angry at school. I, if a referee gave a bad call, I was usually always complaining, throwing my hands up, my body language. Um, if someone gave a hard tackle by opponent, I hated it. I hated losing, and I would get so mad about it. I remember one night we lost the game, and I came back after the game, a home game, and I went to bed at 8 p.m. and didn't talk to anyone because I couldn't stand to lose, okay? It was crazy, okay? Um, I had a knack for getting yellow cards. Uh, let's say I was rough. Some of you would probably say I'm still rough around all the edges. Um, But I would say to you as I share mine, can you honestly look in your life and say where you have sin? You see, what happens is for seasoned Christians, we get in a trap into thinking that we have arrived, that we've made it there. We've been a Christian for a while and we're doing good. We think that um, the majority of us is good. And then what happens is we'll compare ourselves to other people and say, well, I'm not like this person, or I don't act like them, or maybe some of your sin is not necessarily like mine on the exterior, but they're sins that people don't even know about. Websites that you've been searching online, secret lusts and desires that you may have, we need to realize that we do act in selfish ways. You see, we need God's grace. We need to remember, we have not arrived. Can you think about it? Our ancestors, the Israelites, thought they have arrived. Can you imagine being delivered by God? He gives 10 plagues to the Egyptians, and then he parts the Red Sea. You get to go to the, on your way to the promised land, but then because Moses is up in the mountain, you're wondering what in the world is going on. So then you have the audacity that you're going to put gold and make a golden calf and worship another god? Oh, people, but that's who we are. That is who we are. When we read through the Old Testament, let's not say, oh, look at those people. Oh, no, no, no. That lives with us. That's who we are. We can easily be swift and swayed. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We fall into the trap of thinking that since my sin isn't public, it's not that bad. We fall into the trap of saying it's not really sin. It's just a mistake or an accident or it's just my personality. I would say, as uh, my coach would say, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay? You see, we need to learn from the life of Peter who said, Lord, I'm not going to deny you. And then he denies him three times. We need to learn from the life of of David, who was a mighty warrior of God, and yet 
he commits adultery and then tries to murder someone for the cover-up. We need to learn, as you see celebrity pastors who have, been, have this amazing ability to command crowds, and yet they fall into some sinful controversy, and their ministry comes crashing down. You see, we need to be aware that that could be us. We need to stay little and stay low, as Pastor Walker says. So we identify these sinful actions in these uh, patterns in our lives, and more specifically, identify the beliefs, motives, and habits. People may say the key to solving my anger, and they told me, what's Lawrence? You should just count to 10. One, two, three. Ah, I'm just so angry, I can't count to 10. Right, so our, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Like, uh, what is counting to 10 to? You have to ask why. Why specifically was I, and again, specifically in the sport of soccer, that's where you saw literally rage. Why was it there? Well, you need to understand what has led up to this. What is at the heart of it? Because anger is the fruit problem. It's the thing that you reveal, but anger or any of your sin reveals something that you value or you believe in. And for anger, something specifically was getting taken away from me. So what did I come to realize when I was at school? Why was anger so there? Because I have been playing soccer almost every weekend since I was four years old. I started traveling and doing travel soccer at the age of nine. And honestly, I've been to over 30 states specifically for soccer. I'm from Missouri, but traveled all across just for soccer. I remember as a 10 and 11-year-old um, where I would go to the high school soccer game and be a ball boy, and I'm just dreaming of being able to play under the lights there. I remember, I still remember this journal that I had that my goal in life was I was going to have, um, I was going to get married, have three boys. Um, I was going to be a professional soccer player and live in Florida. That was like my mindset there. Um, that, that, so the thing is, it, it was all consuming. And what happened was soccer was an idol because what did soccer provide for me? It provided friends. It provided me popularity. So when things weren't going good, that was getting in the way of not just soccer winning that I love, but the applause and the approval that it brought. You see, what happens is we have to get to the root of why we sin, the habits and patterns, what is driving it. So anger, honestly, wasn't really my problem. It was pride and my ego was my problem. You see, that was my problem. Biblical counselor Mike Emma talks about this. Have you considered how the routines that make up your life, television, email, Facebook, texting, shopping, tracking, stock market, talk radio, might be training and shaping you? Are your daily practices teaching you to love and give yourself to something other than God's kingdom? I would say in my life, it all revolved around how can I be better as a soccer player to get that approval, that affection. So I'd say to you, as we need to put off, some things we need to put off that can cloud us, the habits that we formed is, if we are susceptible to anger, do you really think it's proper and wise to listen to MSNBC or Fox News? You think that's best for your blood pressure? Put it off. What if we're jealous? If you have a habit of being jealous, 
Do you think it's really good for you to get on social media, Facebook or Instagram, and watch what other people are doing, especially on Christmas when they're opening their packages and you get to see? You think that's going to make you less jealous? Oh, you see that? Look at, look at what they have. No, put it off. When it comes to body image, the same thing could be said. Okay, there is no, again, I researched it. There's no actual credible scientific research that says social media has a tremendous blessing for teenagers and young adults. There isn't anything. It's actually the opposite. They're saying how much damage and decay it's causing. Now, you think about it. If your daughter or son has a habit where they're constantly on this, constantly comparing and scrolling and comparing themselves to others, don't you think that's going to have effect on making them think less of themselves or actually more of themselves because they're consumed with themselves? I would say, get off of it. Put it off. There's no benefit from from TikTok, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever it may be. If you recognize that you are battling lust, Maybe it's a good idea that you're not on your phone late at night, that you're not watching certain shows. You see, we have to put off these things, these habits and patterns that can be there. We don't realize how much it's affecting us. So you can listen to Pastor Walker's sermon Sunday morning, but if you get in your car and you're listening to something that is counter to that, don't you think that's going to change you from time to time? Especially if they're singing about, hey, I just want to get my money or I just need to be pleased. Don't you think that's going to have an effect on your mind? We also need to place safeguards in our life to make it harder to sin. You see, in college, what coach would do sometimes, not all the times, but I remember one time I was getting upset at practice and he told me, it's embarrassing, again, I'm sharing with you for transparency's sake, So you realize, okay, if he's sharing this with me, I can actually be honest with myself and take care of my own sin. He sat me in uh, adult timeout. He said, go on the bench, sit in timeout. I was like, you could just say go on the bench, but he just said that because I was just so agitated. But then he did come up and talk to me after that. Not only that, safeguards is real accountability. We're going to talk a little bit more about in the put on, but you need people that can actually be honest with you on where you're at. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend that's going to lovingly come alongside of you and say, I'm here for you. It's one thing, one of our teens a while ago was just having a problem, just getting upset in competition. And one of the things that I did for him um, was I said to him, I know you're getting angry, but we're going to work at this together. We're going to do this together. I'm here for you. I'm not giving up on you. It's going to take time. It's a process. I'm not expecting to snap a finger and everything changes, but we're going to work at this together. We're going to get through this together. And let me, so it doesn't seem like a humble brag, let me share a story with you from college where my coach put this into practice. It is my sophomore year. We had made it to the national championship for Christian colleges in Kissimmee, Florida, and it is tied right now Uh, 2-2 in the soccer game and we are I picked up a yellow card earlier in the game for a a dumb foul just being over aggressive bad anger got in the way so we have about let's say about 20 minutes left in the game and I go and now this foul that I make now I wasn't actually angry I was just tired because I've been running all around I kicked the guy he flips over, flails. I would say he flopped, but I shouldn't have won in that tackle. 
Uh, long story short, I see another yellow card, another red card. National championship game. So now I'm beyond devastated because I've put the whole team, I've let them all down. So now I'm walking to the, I'm not allowed to stay on the sideline with my teams. I have to go in the tent in the back uh, over on the other side of the field. And literally now I'm starting to cry and I'm like, I really messed it up. So I'm walking back there and my coach is running towards me. I'm telling coach, stay with the guys, stay with the team, stay with them. They need you. I don't need you. It'll be okay. I'll be fine. I'm an idiot. I always get angry. I always cause these things upon myself. I deserve this. I walk to the side and my dad and coach walk by me, arms over my shoulder. The other team scores a goal. I'm devastated now. I'm pleading with him. Go to the team. Go to the team. He said, I'm always going to be here for you, Lawrence. I'm always going to be here for you, and we're going to work at this together. You see, that is accountability. That is when I recognize someone cares about me more than any game or anything, and it changed me. That, honestly, was the spark in my life where we go to this next principle of putting on. To put on. So we need to put on, verse 24, to put on the new self created after likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Oh, and by the way, we lost that game. So we didn't win the national championship. What do we do when we put on? We need to identify thoughts and actions that would please Christ. You'll see it, and just with time's sake, I'm just going to go through this quickly. God tells us that his process of change is not only removing, and re- but also replacing. Pastor Walker says it. It's not just holiness by subtraction. It's holiness by subtraction and addition. Okay, so verse 25 says, we lie, but we need to be honest and said. Verse 29 says, we have ungodly speech that we need to put off. We need to put on edifying speech. Verse 31, bitterness and anger need to be put off, but also kindness, compassion, and forgiveness need to be put on. So we need to identify these action and these attributes, which is typically the counter of what we have in our lives. Okay? But not only that, we need to recognize our role in God's story. This is a really important principle of the put on because when we recognize how we fit in God's story, typically we look at our life and like how, what's God's purpose for my life, which is true, but it's like, what's God's purpose for my life in his plan? Because he has something bigger there. We're not saved to sit. We're saved to serve. We're not saved to slouch. We're saved to seek and to save the lost. You see, You have to have a vision for your life, which is why we sang the song. But then soccer, again, I'm going back to it, had that much of an impact on me because we live by something. It was called our creed. I'm going to recite it to you. And again, it's crazy. I'm going back to college next week. It's 10 years since I've been there. But this is what we live by and recited after every practice and every game. It went like this. We don't whine. We work hard. We are well-led. We realize the truly extraordinary do something every day. We choose to be positive. When we don't play as much as we like, we are loyal and still support the team and its mission. We don't live in fragile state of emotion or create crisis where none should exist. We care about God and each other. And this is a key that we say after practice loud. 
And we want our lives, not just in soccer, to be a never-ending ascension of becoming more like Christ. This was this vision, a never-ending ascension of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That vision that was put before our face, it changed a team. A bunch of 18 to 21-year-old men, we had something that we were living for that was bigger than us, that was outside of us. So how, to, how we also added to this, and what I want you guys to add to this, is there should be catchphrases or things that you're saying to yourself to remind you of God's big vision for your life. Coach would say to us, keep it vertical. Keep it vertical. Always think of God. Or, Lawrence, live for the audience of one. Live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the worthy lamb. Live for him. Or we'd say, and I've said it to our teams, think of the big picture. Your life is part of something way bigger than you can ever imagine. And don't you realize everything you do has Christ's signature on it? You should be on a mission to seek and to save, to serve people, to show God's love people. This is what motivated us. This big picture motivated us in our lives, and I pray it motivates you, and you should put on this mindset. Why do I want to grow I'm part of something bigger than myself. I stand here before you today. There's no way in the world you would have hired me as your youth pastor when I first came to Lancaster Bible College. Some of you might say you want me to go now, but okay. Um, But now I stand here before you today because this big vision, someone believed in me and said, I can see what God can do in you. So like I, he put his arms around my shoulder. I get to do that with our teens that are here. I get to be a part of where God is saving teens. He's making their lives amazing. This year, I got to do a wedding for one of our teens. And it was so amazing for me because it's like, wow, the wedding that was done for me was actually by my coach, Josh. And now I get to do one of my mentees' weddings. How amazing is it that it comes full circle, that I get to be a part of God's kingdom work? I pinch myself sometimes like, how, is, how can this be that I'm here? Do we have this big vision? And then also, how do we put on? We need to practice the habits of grace. We need to, habits, okay? Again, you need to understand this. Habits means we need to make a pattern or a lifestyle of doing things. Our pattern or our lifestyle has been of sin. Now we need to make a pattern lifestyle of righteousness. So one of the things we need to do is Hear the voice of God. It's reading the word, but then also when you read God's word, do you try to go every day and say, how can I apply this? Maybe you should take a screenshot of the verse. Maybe you should write it on a post-it note on your mirror or whatever it may be that you're reminding yourself of this truth of who you are and how you want to live according to his word. Maybe something that's helped me is your journaling. You're journaling about your struggles and your difficulties so you can see sustained growth. You're coming and hearing the preached word of God. And then bug the pastor, hey, how can I put this into practice today? One of the things I also had to do was read theological books that dealt with my anger, with my sin there. But then the other aspect, and this one, honestly, Besides the hearing of the word of God was the most impactful was having a biblical community and not just saying fellowship or I'm friends with people, but community where there's authenticity, 
where there's accountability, where people are pushing each other to live according to the word, that, that was what college life for me and why I loved it so much because it, I was just immersed in people pushing me to become more like Jesus Christ. You see, how else did it take place? Our coach had something where we could not, um, well, he didn't make it a rule, but it was an unwritten rule that if we wanted to date anyone, we had to get their approval by bringing him to, uh, bringing the girl to his house so that he could kind of, what he would basically do is it would be a roast. He would roast us as guys in front of the girl, and then his wife would talk to uh, the girl. So Amanda went through that. But one of the things was he did it every Monday night. You see why we have Monday night hangout? It's not just about the pizza, even though we spent a lot of money on that. It's about getting them immersed in our house where they're with a biblical community, where we're rubbing shoulders together, doing life together, and we're pushing each other to become more like Jesus. That is our vision and our passion of 180 Youth Ministry, and that, as you see in our church, is becoming the vision and passion. We just don't want people who are quote-unquote good Christians, but their lives aren't being transformed by this word. You see, we want God's word to make a difference in our lives so we can go and touch other people. You see, the word of God touches my life and is changing me and shaping me that I'm able to take this word and help others with it. But you need biblical community. You need people that are surrounding you, that are pushing you to become more like Jesus Christ each and every day. The reason why change is difficult, the reason why we're not growing is because sometimes we think we can just cut the weed at the top but never get to the root. You see, we have to do the hard work of bending down, pulling that weed out, but then also replacing it with something beautiful. You see, what happens is churches that don't practice progressive sanctification turn into this latter passage where they have bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and filthy speaking being all in their midst. Instead of feasting on the word, they are like a body of piranhas feasting on one another. One of the scariest things I could say in my life is if when I go back and people think I'm still that 18-year-old that blew up about the Dixie Cup. You see, what I want for my life and what we should want for our lives is years from now, people look back and say, wow, you've changed. What's different? Christ. Christ in me. That's what's different. I don't want to be defined by my past, and I'm not positionally because I'm a child of the King of Kings, but I also want my behavior to grow where there's more maturity, there's more humility that is growing. You see, I want to be transformed daily where I can say I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. I want to be transformed daily and say because Christ has suffered for me, leaving an example that I may follow in his footsteps. You see, I want to be transformed daily because I've been bought with a price. You see, therefore, I want to live this verse. If anyone would come after him, that is Jesus, I want to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow him. That is what we should aspire. Not just aspire, we should, with passion, we should pursue Christ-likeness. And I pray that this principle can help you tonight. Let's pray.
Father, I love you and I thank you so much, Lord, for just giving us this wonderful opportunity, Lord, to sing of your amazing truth. You have justified us, Lord. You have sanctified us. And one day you're going to glorify us. Lord, we are free from the power of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, Lord. And I pray that you would just help us in light of the one day the presence of sin being destroyed in our lives, that we would live for you. We would pursue you. We would put off the habits and patterns of the old way of life, and we would put on righteousness, pursuing Jesus Christ with all our life. Thank you for this day in your name. Amen.